Lars Ferdish uncovers the truth about PR storytelling and who really owns the brand. Just think noodles. Go. Welcome to Fuse from PRCA, the 15-minute PR, communication and marketing podcast. My name's Dan Gold and Aisha will be back very soon with a brand new interview. In the meantime, let's take the conversation from one side of the globe to the other. Lars, firstly, it's a pleasure to have you here on Fuse. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. It's The pleasure's all mine, actually. So just to explain to people, I'm in Canada, you're in Singapore, is that right? Yes, about 100 kilometers away from the equator. Uh, <laughs> the last time I was in Singapore, we landed at Changi and we everything was clear. We landed, picked up our bags, got to the outside of the airport, and the rains just torrentially came down upon us. And then 20 minutes later, everything's steaming, everything's drying out, and you couldn't <laughs> tell half an hour later that it had even rained. Is this a normal occurrence? It's the tropics. Yes, that's what happens, right? So it's the uh, same like it, the sun gets up at 7 o'clock and it sets at 7 o'clock. There might be a variation of 10 minutes during the course of the year. That's living qu- close to the equator uh, in the tropics, yes. We have monkeys running around in some public parks and, you know, every now and then we have the uh, random alligator spotting, but it's a safe, wonderful tropical island. I... I previously, for people who regularly follow um, Fuse, I previously said that uh, Luxembourg is one of my favorite places on the planet. I will follow that up by saying, without doubt, Singapore is also one of my favorite places on the planet. Now, Lars, um, on to what we're here to discuss and what we're here to talk about, uh, which which falls into two categories. Um, recently, and I'll bring my notes over here so that I can see them. You can tell I can wear I wear glasses, but my eyes are uh, <laughs> at the end of the day. So time zones. I'm at the end of the day. You're at the beginning of the day. Um, recently, you uh, worked on and released an article for Forbes on uh, ethics as the voice mm-hmm. for PR championing truth and transparency over embellishments. Obviously, and I say obviously, and I would hope that the rest of the business community would think this way. The ethics, building trust, speaking truth, sticking to core values and taking responsibility are at the core of what we should do, certainly during a crisis, but also in everyday business. Are we seeing that some people aren't, you know, keeping up to date on this and and they risk kind of fluffing things and and giving a flowery picture to distract well (laughs) um i think we've always seen that there's no ultimate truth there are always different uh kind of light sources that shine on an object so the question is do you acknowledge that there are different perspectives and give transparency which perspective you're coming from i think that's the core part right Um, I mean, if you look at some of the um, great PR people in history, like Lord Bell uh, always said, um, anybody or everybody should have the right for an attorney in the court of public opinion. 
Um, I wouldn't go that far that every dictator should have that kind of right to speak his version of the truth if it goes too far. But I believe for, for the general uh, profession that we represent, we really have a, a, a duty. And I, I, I like to quote always Spider-Man, with great responsibilities come, come, with great powers come great responsibilities, right? So um, can we look into the mirror? Um, and, and, and I think that barrier is different from every professional in, in every kind of, of job you do. But for me, it, it means we as PR professionals really have that responsibility to make sure that we don't manipulate people, that we don't tell falsehoods, that we don't just uh, put business over everything else. I think we all have a greater responsibility for the planet, for the community. Um, but uh, I think that that kind of perception and approach to ethics um, is sometimes a very personal one, unfortunately, and not just a general professional credo for, for all professions out there. There's something that we say over here uh, in our company, which is um, everyone has a story to tell. And if you take that that one step further, everyone has a right to have that story heard. And it's down to the audience to make the decision from the information that they've been given as to where they align or they don't align with that story that has been told. And for us as professionals, I've always believed that if you start from a place of truth, you can't really go wrong. And, and that level of taking responsibility when there is accountability to be had is far better in the long run for any organization than, you know, looking at it from a perspective of how we can get away with something, because that's never going to lead to a place of, well, success, frankly, is it? Well, it's, you know, it's that saying like lies have short legs. They don't get very far in the long run. Or like somebody else said, uh, you know, the good thing about always telling the truth is you don't need to remember what you've said. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. You can't get caught out telling the truth. You can get caught out telling a lie. And, and I think that's the interesting part is over time, our opinions and perceptions of the truth might actually change. So we might get called out of that on that. Lars, I'm really intrigued. Um, uh, I watched recently the replay of the um, PRCA Southeast Asia Global Communications Forum, an excellent um, conference. Um, just from your perspective, when it comes to, you know, lots of people look at the PR industry, communication and marketing, and a lot of it is is incredibly heavy, heavily, you know, centric around North America, New York and London and, you know, Tokyo, etc. Um, how do you find when we look at these pan-regional pan conferences that they address um, different needs in different parts of a region? It is sometimes easier to do it, for example, for North America or for Europe, but there are regions in the world that are just more different in terms of culture, development status of the economy, uh, languages, what are cultural norms. So it's great as an eye-opener, but sometimes you have to acknowledge just because that works in Vietnam, it might not work in Myanmar. And, and i give you a very simple example because we're working on, on a lot of environmental projects. Um, 
everybody's talking about climate change and, and these kind of things. For in Indonesia, one of the biggest things for trucks is going to the Euro 4 norm while Europe is at 7 plus, right? Or talking electric. So just the the, the the circumstances, the situation is so different that uh, if you have in some countries uh, people not having shelter when it's raining versus are you at the top 10, 20% of change that you can do or you're at the 80% bracket, right? And, and that affects how you talk about things, what you can address, how you can address it. So when you look at, let's say, because, you know, I my time in Southeast Asia is, you know, statistically limited compared to the time I've spent in Europe and North America. Um, when you look at the marketplace, let's say, as as the MD of Precious Communications, when you look at the opportunities that you see uh, in different countries that are at different stages, what are the challenges? Where are the doors opening? And where is it that you look at a line of going economically? Maybe it's not right to look at that market yet because it's just such a high barrier. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tricky question because if you do that, also means you place your bets. And theoretically, you have to like love all your children and you can't have favorites. But from a business point of view, you have to make your bets, right? Um, I mean, if you look at Southeast Asia overall, it's like 650 million people. Um, it's a pre-COVID GDP growth of 4 to 6% in average. So it's one of the booming next 10 years opportunities of our lifetime. And I always look at it from uh, when I was in DHL many, many years ago, one of the board members said, Lars, um, and he was so grateful, said, in my lifetime, China was opening up and I was part of the journey. And I was like, damn it, I, I, I missed that opportunity. So what will be my China? So I always keep saying, Southeast Asia will be my China opportunity because we're at the right moment, internet penetration is there, a hungry young population, uh, economic growth, it's in between the big global poles, the Japanese, the Chinese, the Europeans, the Americans, economic things are there, uh, supply chain diversification. So um, it's, it's amazing to be here. So then in which order to sometimes, over the last 10 years I've seen it depends opportunistically, where do our clients see it's working, right? And, and, and then it's um, up sometimes to exchange rates because global IT vendors charge in US dollars. And if suddenly your currency drops by 50%, the product is unaffordable. And then it might shift from uh, Philippines to Malaysia or to Thailand as the next big thing or to Vietnam. Or So it moves around. But I think the, the big bets are just obvious. Singapore is the, is the hub here. Then you have Indonesia just by pure size and good solid government over time. Malaysia has everything in its hand, but political struggles. Um, Thailand, I don't know how many coups they had, but uh, the economy was actually growing. It's one of the um, uh, manufacturing hubs for semiconductors, automotive in the region. Vietnam got hit quite badly by, by COVID, but I mean, that's, that's just a stability part. Investors love stability. No government change over a long period of time means stability. So FDIs are, are flowing, right? So uh, I wouldn't necessarily put my bets on Myanmar at the moment after uh, the dictatorship took back control. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's 11 countries that we're looking after. Um, and it's just opportunities are plenty, right? So when it comes to 
working with clients that are wanting to create awareness into certain markets. And we've done a previous episode where we spoke to people in different parts of Southeast Asia. But when it comes to um, firms from from one uh, area, one country wanting to create awareness and grow into another country, do you find that there is um, national pride that comes in the barriers that go up? We'd rather in Malaysia support a Malaysian firm. We in in Thailand would rather support Thai firms, etc. And then it becomes, uh, well, you're not from here thing. Or in Southeast Asia, generalization, I'll accept, huge, huge population. But is there... Is there an element of nationalism and protectionism between countries, which we're increasingly seeing in different areas of the world? Um, I believe it really depends on uh, which part of the population you're talking to and what kind of products, right? There are the national pride products like who owns Hawker Foods? There was a big discussion between Singapore and Malaysia about who can protect it under the uh, United Nations World Heritage kind of thing. Malaysians say, no, we have the Hawker food. No, the Singaporeans say that, but it's, it's, it's a combined culture. Um, I think a lot of times, and you know, that's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm originally from Germany. So, so that made in Germany stem still goes a long, long way. Um, and what's interesting, it's, it's politically just interesting perceptive. In Europe, Germany has a very high historical burden to carry. In most parts of Asia, it was the Japanese who were the bad guys. Sorry to say that that's simply, it's not that simple, but Germany doesn't have that kind of, that badly tinted uh, kind of heritage to drive the made in Germany brand here, for example, right? Um, Singapore is an example. People are normally not very fond of made in Singapore products. Of course, the government is pushing that up. You have that in every country, right? Uh, one interesting brand example, by the way, is, you, you know, Maggie Noodles, M-A-G-G-I. They're, they're popular all over the world. It's South America, in El Salvador, whole streets, red and yellow, right? Every country believes it's their brand. It's I think it's under the Nestle umbrella, uh, from Maggie out of out of Germany before they got acquired Germany Switzerland right but it's one of those fantastic brands that made it so local that people believe it's their local brand ownership is a fascinating thing and historical ties and yeah. and values of organizations for for, uh, for sure um when it comes to looking at the region from a point of public relations, communications, and, and and marketers. What is it like in terms of, you know, business markets lean more towards straight advertising or they believe in the power of public relations or it's marketing, 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 or as I would imagine for, for a significant proportion, it's the fine art and the science of, of, of the communication mix. Where, where do, who gets the largest slice of the pie? And let's leave advertisers on the outside of this particular one. Um, it's a little bit a question of industry and, and flavor du jour, right? Um, when uh, We work a lot with startups, uh, so I'll give you that example, right? Um, depending on which stage they are, they believe in different things. Um, at, at whatever, five years, growth hacking was the biggest thing 
um, in the wider marketing mix. The problem of growth hacking, it's lower funnel optimization. You can optimize it like crazy, but it dries up after a while if you don't fill it in, right? Um, then from stage here, it's like the typical crossing the chasm kind of um, theory. Like you have your early adopters, word of mouth that works, but at some point you need to build trust if you want to have mass market uh, adoption. And that's where, where do you see PR fits in? And I think the biggest confusion, not just in Southeast Asia, but globally is like, is PR a subset of marketing, very tactical, or is it the biggest strategic thing there is? For me, the answer is both. And I think that confuses the heck out of people that, that have not worked in that. And they are sometimes they're just, they're just following the next Pied Piper uh, that plays the, the, the nicest or loudest tune, right? So a lot of what we're doing, especially with startups, is education. Where can we help? And also, where can't we help? PR is not a conversion tool to drive up online sales. There's no direct correlation. We can help you with differentiation, with your USB, with trust, authority building, all these kind of things. Um, it's a fantastic tool if you're looking for funding rounds and you have to talk about why you are the next big thing and your industry is the next big thing. So um, I don't think there's a sim single answer to that. Um, I always tell our teams and our clients, is, let's forget what we believe is the best thing. Let's look at the target audience and what's their media consumption mix. That defines the channel. The channel influences the flavor and the packaging, and we have the message, but we need to marry that. Funny part is if you work with some more conservative organizations where the uh, where you know have leaders in their 60s sometimes, for them only local broadcast no local uh, broadsheet paper counts because that's the only thing that they read so that's their ultimate truth absolutely i i mean i i couldn't disagree with that and i can tell you in this part of canada um in very much the same way it will be local radio above all other channels regardless of of the value and the numbers and the data and and they won't necessarily look at where the audience is, but it's where they consume their material because they trust that news outlet and they have a greater trust for it. Lars, I honestly could talk to you for hours on end because um, you're in a fascinating place of the world, place in the world, one of my favorites. And um, having you know watched your sessions online, also a brilliant brilliant mind on you and please don't blush at that um if people wanted to uh, find out more about you and your organization how could they do that uh, just google precious communications preciouscoms.com very simple or or if you can remember my name google that there are not that many people that can pronounce my name or find it so i think the company is the safer bet lars thank you so much for joining us here on fuse Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fuse from PRCA. You can subscribe for free and find out more information about other episodes by simply visiting prca.org.uk.